there's no shot I'm going to be able to do this with all this stuff up here. My mind will go crazy. <laughs> I don't know about your mind, but mine would go nuts. All right, who wants some candy? Anybody? For real? I hope y'all caught that. <laughs> you melted in the chairs. Right on, dude. Yes, sir. <laughs> Happy Sunday. All right, Titus chapter 2, beginning at verse 11, says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Now, I happen to really enjoy this text because there are almost two opposing ideas. And for whatever reason, I always like that. He appeared and he is appearing. He appeared, he came. And he is coming. He came the first time he appeared to prepare us for the time that he would come again. That means there's something about us in this hour, in this moment, in this present age that we are supposed to receive from the time that he appeared so that we are ready for his appearing. There's something that we have to embrace from when he appeared so that we can actually receive and be blessed by his coming because his coming is what we call our blessed hope. That means we are waiting for it. We are longing for it. We are hoping for his return. When we get too comfortable and what is the world and the worldly passions, when we realize this is the last time we get to live like an idiot and we just get excited by that, we're actually not hoping for his coming. We will become content and what is of the earth, and we'll want to just sit here, and we'll want to enjoy all the things that the flesh has to enjoy, rather than looking for his blessed hope, for his coming. So let's just kind of walk through that a little, because it seems like God always appears and gets us started, and then we like wonder, where is he? And then suddenly he shows back up. But what is it that we're to be doing from the time that he appeared until he appears? There is a life that is to be lived. Um, let me say it with a story. When I was 15 years old, it's the first time that I remember actually what I will say, describe as hearing the voice of God. It's the first time that I, that I heard the whisper of God in my heart. I was 15, I was riding a bus from Bartow High School to Elam Road, 4910 Elam Road, where we lived at the time. And um, I, was, I was getting a little bit bored with a godly lifestyle. Now let me explain that. Um, we moved a lot, so I went to a lot of different schools, 
And I, I never had a, a problem with grades, uh, but my behavior didn't always line up. I was a good student, but I wasn't usually a good kid. And teachers didn't always know how to, like, how did they handle that? It, it didn't make a lot of sense to them. And so this, I'm, I was in the 10th grade, I'm like, I'm going to get this together. Like, I am going to be a decent human being. And so I was. Like, I was actually being pretty good. But I was getting extremely bored. And I remember just sitting on the bus, like, bored. There was stuff going on, you know, in seat five, and you might have been in seat eight, and you're like, oh, that looks fun. Or, oh, I could just, like, shout out something right now that would be absolutely hysterical. It'd be highly offensive, but it'd be very funny. And I can remember just kind of, like, wrestling with all of that. And what I heard the Lord say in that moment was, be not weary in well-doing. And, and I, I, rem I remember that moment, like, what, where did that come from? What, what was that that I just heard? Like, what, what was that? It moves me to this day. And here's the thing. I didn't listen. I did my own thing. Like, that was as good as I had was another two weeks maybe. And then I got a driver's license. And, and for years, I, I lived for me. For years, I did my thing. Yet that word that appeared was just sitting there, resting in my soul. And I remember when I finally, like when I finally turned it around, I was in my 20s. And when I finally turned it around, that word woke up. And here's the thing, from that moment until today, there's been no weariness in well-doing. Oh, sure. When I say we, there's no weariness, I mean I don't lean into the weariness. There gets, there are, there's frustration that arises, but I push it down. There are imaginations that lift their head and I cast down imaginations. There is a lifestyle that God has called me to live that I have decided that I'm going to actually live out. See, first and foremost, I am a servant of God. I'm a husband. I'm a dad, I'm a preacher. Those are like, that's, just, that's all I have margin for, four things. Like, aren't you other things? I'm not very good at any of the other things. I'm actually not a very good friend at all. I don't have time to be a good friend. I don't have time to hang out with friends. I don't have time to take every friend's phone call. Why? Because I'm trying to be a good servant. I'm trying to be a good husband. I'm trying to be a good dad. I'm trying to be a good preacher. I don't always have time to go do fun stuff. I don't always have time to listen to funny stories. Why? Because I've, all I have room for is this. Now, you may not have all those things, and you have room for other things. I don't know what yours is, but that's what mine is. And I have a command to be not weary in well-doing. And those are the four spaces that I feel like I can do well. And so I just commit to them. I, I see stats all the time about preachers. Craziness. Only one out of 10 preachers makes it to retirement. I'm going to make it to retirement. Why? Because I'm not going to grow weary in well-doing. In 2020, 1,700 preachers a month quit. I don't blame them, but I'm not quitting. 
I'm like a rookie. Today is 11 years for me. I've only been doing this for 11 years. Do you realize how much runway I still have? Like I have to, I have to not grow weary. I'm not saying this for you to clap about me. I'm saying this for you to think about you. How many years have you been doing the thing that you're called to do? How, how many years? Like I've been married for 27 years. You would think that's enough. That's a long time. Be not weary in well-doing. I've been a parent for 19 years. In some ways, the longest 19 years of my life. And in other ways, the greatest joy that God has ever given to me are my kids. One of my kids the other day, they were like, Dan, you could have had less kids and had so much more stuff. <laughs> so that's true. I mean, don't you want this? Don't you want that? I said, you don't get it. Like, you guys are the reward. Like, you, you are everything I could imagine. You are exceedingly beyond what I could ask or think. Like, God has been so faithful to me. I'm going to be faithful to him. Why? Because he appeared to bring salvation to all. And his appearing is my blessed hope that he's coming. So there is going to be faithfulness in the middle. And when we understand this, that the grace that we received is actually training us to live godly, upright lives, then we'll experience the fullness of the grace by which we've been given. See, this is one of my, I'm gonna rant for a minute. Can I rant? I get to rant anyhow. One of the, like, the, if there is a great frustration to me in 2023 is that we are using the grace of God as literally an excuse. We use the grace of God as an entitlement, as if God just gave it to us because we're awesome and then called us to do whatever we want to do. No, the grace that we were given was to literally train us to live godly, upright lives. When? In the present age. Not in the time that we get picked up and taken to heaven and then I'll be godly there. No, he says in the present age, the grace that you have received is to train you in godliness and uprightness. It is to train me. That means everything that I'm committed to is necessary. Everything that you'll commit to is necessary. That it actually matters how we live our lives. It actually matters that we are living with a hope that he is coming. That means my lifestyle is being driven by his return. That's what it means. And the grace of God that trains me is the same grace that everybody has the opportunity to receive that brought salvation to all people. Now let's just get in the weeds for a minute. Salvation to all. Does all mean all? Is all for all people? Because there are theological ideas today that are promoted that would suggest that all is just a certain all. It's an elect all or a predestined all. It's not an all all. Which all are we talking about all? Let's just, and here's why this matters. I'm going to tell you why this matters to me. Because if you don't believe that everybody can receive the grace of God, then there's going to be something about your life today that is not being prepared for or preparing others for his coming. Because if I don't think that everybody has the opportunity to receive something, then I'm not going to prepare them for his coming. 
And we may not look at it like that, but there are certain theological constructs that build within us a prejudice or a thought that I don't need to do something that God told me to do because it's unnecessary. The last thing you need to do is go dig a hole in the backyard that doesn't need to be dug. Right? Like when we want to torture people, what do we do? We tell them to do something that doesn't matter. We give people meaningless work. When we give people meaningless work, they get frustrated. They lose their minds like they give up on stuff. Why? Because we gave them something to do that doesn't matter. Jesus didn't tell us to go into all the world if all the world doesn't matter. But, but that's just my conjecture. Let's go into the word. What does the word actually say about this? In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3, the apostle Paul said it like this. He said, this is good and is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. How many people need to be saved? All. How many people does God desire to be saved? All. How many people does he desire would come to the knowledge of the truth? All. Which goes right in line with the text when he says here that he brought salvation to how many people? All people. Let's push on into Romans chapter 10 and verse 10. It says, for with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. For the same Lord is Lord of all. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all. As it is written, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now here's the thing, when that was written, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord would be saved, it was a prophecy. It was spoken in a time that had not happened yet, but a time that would happen. So the Apostle Paul's having a conversation with the Romans, and he's telling them, there was a time when you were not God's people. There was a time when you were left out of God's goodness. But now is the time where you have found yourself in his goodness. Now we're in the middle of the moment where everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Why? Because now we're in the middle of a time when there is no distinction. There is not an elect and a not elect. There's not a Jew and a Greek or a Jew and a Gentile. Now it's just all. The Lord is the same Lord of all. So now we're in the middle of the moment where every single person is called to be saved. That's important to me because if I believe that everyone is to be saved, then I'm going to have conversations with everyone as if they should be saved. It's also important to me when I recognize I'm not supposed to be living a lifestyle of exclusion. Like we always, we always have this sense of, well, that's not for them. I mean, it's for me. Like I'm glad I have this. I'm glad I have the Holy Spirit, but oh, the baptism in the Holy Spirit's not for, it may not be for you. Really? Really, God's going to give you a baptism that allows you to pray when you don't know what to pray, but he's not going to give it to them? Because you're the only one who needs to pray something that you don't know how to pray, so he's going to enable you to do it, but, but not them? They're just left on their own when they don't know how to pray as they ought to pray? There's no one going to pray for them? See, it all, it all flows from these concepts that are broken. He is Lord of all. He's Lord of all. And then, and then it gets worse sometimes because it bleeds beyond just our theology. Now economics, oh, well, you, you're not, maybe, maybe you're not going to make it. Oh, but I'm going to make it. So I'll have rules that lift me up but hold you back. But I'm not really holding you back because you don't get to get anything anyhow. Oh, Really? 
See, it's fascinating when you have an idea that somehow God's chosen you for something better than somebody else. It is amazing how that leaks into all other, all other ways of thought. All other ways. As if he just died for your sins and not their sins. See, if I could just pick on my Presbyterian brothers who have devised this little TULIP, T-U-L-I-P, an acronym for nonsense. I said it. I'm sorry. You know what? Everybody in my house is sick, so I'm in a bad mood this morning, so you just have to hear it. But the, the, the L in there is limited atonement. What that means is just sort of fancy words for saying Jesus didn't die for everybody. That's what it means. People believe this. They stand on it strongly. Limited atonement. Jesus did not die for all. Could we just go to the simplicity of the gospel? You know why everybody knows John 3.16? Do you know why everybody quotes John 3.16? Do you know why today when you watch the Buccaneers try and beat the Minnesota Vikings, somebody's going to hold a sign with a John 3.16 on it? When we watch the Dallas Cowboys destroy the New York Giants tonight, somebody is going to have a sign that says John 3.16. Do you know why? Because the wholeness of the gospel would be summed up in one sentence by Jesus when he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world that whoever, whosoever, if you're a King James person, whosoever, the same Lord is Lord of all. Grace appeared bringing salvation to all. I just want to make sure we have this settled. Oh, Jesus died for my sins, but he didn't die for everyone's sins. Okay, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Jesus is the propitiation. That's just a $5 ESV word for this. Sacrificial atonement. Jesus is the atonement for our sins. Now that sounds like our could be applied to just the Christians that he was writing to. But not ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So not the elect world, the whole world. Why? Because God so loved the world. Why? Because grace appeared to all, bringing salvation to all. Because he's the same Lord to all. So there's no arguing that God has provided salvation for all. Well, if he's provided salvation for all, then all have the opportunity to receive grace. If we all receive grace, what is the command for those who have been saved and have received grace? That the grace that we've been saved by, the grace that we have received, will do what now? Train us to live godly, upright lives in the present age. So now we have to push a little bit against this idea since we pushed against the limited atonement concept. Now we have to push a little bit against the idea that it doesn't matter how I live, that once I'm saved, I'm just always saved. It's just who I am. God just did it. I'm done. I'm not waiting for his appearing. I'm not being trained in righteousness. Like none of it matters. Really, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter? In the present age, there is a lifestyle that is to be lived right now. We are not excluded from receiving salvation, and we are not excluded from living saved lives. I, I don't want to be. Like, I don't, let me just say this. I think sometimes people didn't live enough sin. 
I, I think sometimes you, you didn't like burn it to its end to just realize I don't even want this. Like I didn't, I didn't walk away from all that was sinful so that I could just live sinful in something. Like I was tired of this lifestyle. Like there, like are you, you get tired of the shame. You get tired of having to hide stuff. You get tired of being that person. Like the weight of the world, it's miserable. It is damning and you're sick of it. And you say, I want new life. And then salvation appears and lifts you out of that and redeemed you from it. Not redeemed you just from the consequence of it. He redeemed you from the sin itself. That means he brought you out of it and set you here. And the grace that picked you up is the grace that trains you. Now what? Now I get to live a life set apart for him. Now we get, to, we get to live lives that are set apart for him. All of us in the present age means the right now. Every one of us should be doing today what we should be doing for him. Like I wanna just commend you for a minute. You could have done a whole bunch of other stuff this morning. Every one of you. You could have slept in. You could have gone golfing. You could have gone fishing. You could have just decided to do nothing. You could have decided to mow the yard this morning. Whatever. Go grocery shopping. I don't even know what time the grocery store opens on Sunday. I have no idea who's open on Sunday. You know why? Because for decades of my life, I've never done anything but been in church until noon. I, if you asked me what time do people open on Sunday, I have no idea. Like I just, in the moment talking to you, realize I actually have no idea what to tell you you could be doing because this is the only thing I've ever done. And I'm actually okay with that. I don't feel like I've missed out on anything. But let's just look at it. You did today, right now, what you could do in obedience to the gospel. So you've already started your week out right. This is the first day of the week. And the first thing you did on the first day of the week was to gather with God's people on the Lord's day and let him fulfill his promise that where two or three are you gathered, there he is in the midst of you. So you decided to start your week with him in the middle of your life. You did something. All of us, it's today, like now is the time. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 4, the Apostle Paul says that do not receive the grace of God in vain. Like don't, don't receive it in vain. He goes on and he says, for he says, in an acceptable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I heard you. Now, Paul goes on and says, okay, now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. It's not for tomorrow. Like, today is the day. What can we do today? Uh, I, there's a psychologist I follow, Jordan Peterson, and he, he's got this thing. He talks a lot to young adults and and. You know, they've got a lot of questions. And his, like, one of his big things then is like, just get up and make your bed. I mean, it sounds like ridiculous. It sounds so elementary, but there's something about just waking up and doing something positive. 
Like if I was a, if, if I was a, a coach, which I'm not, like if I was a trainer, which I'm not, and you were like, I just, I can't run a, a 5K. Fine, then run from your garage to the end of the driveway. Like start somewhere, do something positive. What I am is a preacher. So what I say to you is do something good. What does the gospel tell you to do? Just do it. Let everything that has breath, praise the Lord. The music starts playing. We make it so easy for you to just lift up your voice and give him glory. Why? Because the gospel commands you to do that. So we want to make it easy for you to do that. That you would give him glory. Like if, if you, if you let, let me say it like this. Let me tell you, I'll just walk you through my life a little bit. I, I talked at the beginning where I was a mess. Let me just, let me tell you how I cleaned it up. One day at a time. One step at a time. Um, I drank too much. My mouth was horrible. Like, I don't know, I had adjectives that we just don't use. But I also listened to a lot of music that used the same adjectives that I used. And so it was just a little at a time. Like, it was just letting some things go. It was just, okay, well, I'm not going to say that word anymore. Like, I can't clean it all up. Don't look at me like that. There are people that God shows up and it's like he just cleans up in a moment, right? Like I hear people, they say, man, I just, one day I was smoking three packs a day, got prayed for in church and never wanted another. Awesome. Awesome. But most people, they just have to dial it back and vape a little less every day until, until they get there. What is that? It's a step forward. It's, it's, a, it's movement. It's from glory to glory. Like, I, I just took this word out of my vocabulary. And then months later, I took this word out of my vocabulary. And then I took this word. And then I didn't just throw all my music away at once, but the ones that had explicit lyrics, well, y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. Um, that you, you bought CDs back in the day. Back in the day, there was this thing, and it looks like a disc, and it's silver and shiny, and you would take it out of a case, you paid $15, $14.99 for it, and you would put it in your car, it had a little slot, and it would suck the CD into the slot, and then you would pick songs and play. I, you can't even get a CD player today. Whatever. Anyhow. And I just... I just got rid of the ones that had the little sticker on them that said, parental advisory, explicit lyrics. The PMRC, they, they lobbied Washington and they got these stickers on CDs and they'd look at you and you're like 14 and you're underage and they're like, give you the CD, take your money. Nobody cared. It was the 90s. We didn't even follow rules in the 90s. Was anybody raised in the 90s, anybody? Right? It's a miracle we're alive. but whatever. But it's just, okay, I'll just get rid of those. And it just got me started. Because if I wasn't listening to something all the time, then I wasn't saying something all the time. And when you control what is input, you have control over what is output. And so it was just simple, but it was just a lifestyle where I just wasn't doing certain things that I used to do. And I just prepped myself through putting things down, Jesus said you have to, what? Put your cross down so that you can take up his and follow him. And there was some stuff I had to put down so that I could pick up. 
You don't always have the strength to do, you, actually you never have the strength to do it all. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and the world. And so it forces you to put the world down so that you can pick him up and follow him. And here's the thing. When you follow him, when you do today, just, just right now, what you can do to follow him, the next day gets easier, and the next day gets easier, and the next day gets easier. Here's what is not lost on me. This blows my mind. I want you to think about this. In the wilderness, when God called a group of people out of slavery, there were an entire group of people from this moment to this moment who died in the wilderness because they didn't get it right in the wilderness. But there was an entire generation of people who were born in the wilderness, who got it right in the wilderness, and qualified to step into the promised land. There is a season of letting things go so that when you get to the River Jordan, you're ready to pick up and step into the promise. But before you can cross, you have to let go of some things. And there were things to be let go of day by day by day. The Apostle Paul back up, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. He said, so we don't lose heart, though the outward self, the outer self is wasting away. Well, now that sounds depressing. Here, here, here's a way to start a sentence. Don't lose heart, the outer self is wasting away. And sometimes I read the gospel and I'm like, but then he goes on. He says, but the inner self is being renewed day by day. It's not all at once. Like, don't get discouraged because you don't have it all right today. Don't get discouraged because when you look at your life, you're like, I'm not there yet. I understand. I'm not there yet either. But here's what I think we can all do is look in the rearview mirror and say, but I'll tell you what, I'm better today than I was yesterday because day by day, the inner self is being renewed. It's being renewed. Now, what is all this for? Like, why do we even go through all of this? What's it leading up to? Let me just sit here for a hot minute. It's leading to the coming of the Lord. Can we just talk about Jesus coming back? At least a couple, three times a year, I think uh, we should probably have a good little conversation about Jesus is actually coming back. I don't think we need to let it be lost on the Christian today that we are hoping and looking for his return. When people say things like, oh, looking for some sky fairy to split the clouds, yes. You call it whatever you want to, you mock however you want to mock. What I'm telling you is Jesus is coming back and that's why we need to be ready. I hear people all the time, we're doing this all the time. We're saying things like, oh, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe, I, don't, I mean, I don't believe that. Then, then really? Really? Because if you don't believe he's coming back, then you're probably not living the lifestyle that is required to be ready for his coming. And if you're not living the lifestyle that is ready for his coming, then I'm pretty sure it wouldn't be safe for you to say, I'm a Christian. So we can just throw the whole little charade away and just go back to the gospel and say, the ones who believe Jesus is coming back are living in such a way that is preparing for his coming because he is our blessed hope. And these are the ones whom he says are my family. And those people that he says are his family, I don't care what anybody else calls them, he calls them Christians. All right, so let's just talk about this for a minute. Again, I'm, I'm, gotta get, I'm, gonna, I'm getting out of my grouchy mood. I'll be nice at 11. 
I've been sleeping on a couch for like three days, y'all. I don't want to be in there in the infirmary. Everybody's sick up there. I just sleep on the other end of the house. Neck hurts, back hurts. What I love, honestly, I love being in a faith church and getting to say stuff like that and just a certain amount of people looking at me like, are you supposed to say that? There's a joy. It's just, there's a joy in me. It's the antagonist in me. All right, I'm sorry. We're talking about the coming of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in verse 52. The apostle Paul said very clearly, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will rise imperishable and we shall be changed. Just like that. It's the same thing he told to the Thessalonians. He said, oh, don't get worried about people who have died before Jesus returns. Because when the archangel makes that sound like a trumpet, then the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who remain will be caught up together with them to meet Jesus in the air where we will be with him forever. Like this, this is Christian doctrine 101. The same Jesus that came and saved you is the same Jesus who's going to return and take you to be with him forever. He saved you so that you could be with him forever. I just, let me just say this. Let's just be uber practical. If there was no eternity, he didn't need to come and save us. Like, who cares? Let's just live like morons. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Right? Like if there's, if there's nothing that we're preparing for, why do we need to be saved? Just to be nice here? No. Because he's coming. And our lifestyle today is in preparation of his coming. And so he promised to return. Look, every single generation of church, sometimes people get a little cranky and they talk, well, you know, it's, he's not, it's the tribulation is going to happen and this is going to, Jesus is going to come out, it's not gonna, there's no rapture. They believed in the rapture from the very beginning. The apostle Paul believed at any moment that Jesus was going to return and the entire church was going to be lifted up then. That was 1900 years ago. Every generation of church has believed in what we will call the rapture. The rapture is not the second coming where the lion of the tribe of Judah stands on the earth and brings an end to all evil. We're talking about when the lamb that was slain appears in the clouds and receives up all of us who have followed him in our lives. Like there is a moment of his appearing. I'm not talking about the second coming yet. I'm talking about his appearing. At his appearing, we will be caught up with him. So we live in preparation for that moment. It was prophesied to happen, declared that it would happen. 
Let's talk about prophecy. Let's go back into the Old Testament. Because there's this, um, when they prophesied about the coming of Jesus, there were, it was kind of split up in two sections. There, were the se- there was the section about the coming king, the line of the tribe of Judah, like 500 of those prophecies. But then there were 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that were about a suffering servant, about the lamb of God that would be slain, like these prophecies. There were less of the lamb prophecies than there were of the lion prophecies. And they were waiting for the lion and they missed the lamb. What they didn't understand was the lamb had to come first to prepare people to receive the lion. Because if the lamb didn't come first to prepare you to receive the lion, when the lion shows up, you die with everybody else. So the lamb had to come first. Jesus, salvation had to appear. Grace had to appear first so that we could receive salvation so that we are prepared for the coming of the lion. And so in prophecy, we see all of these throughout the Old Testament that were giving a foreshadowing about what was going to happen. Ezekiel one time, he gave these prophecies about this in war. And this in war, he used Gog and he used from the land of Magog. And when we go to the book of Revelation and we go into Gog and Magog, like that's at the end of the thousand years. Like that's not even for us to worry about right now. But it is to give us an indication of what one day will happen. It is that. But he also talked about this temple that would be built and they would have sacrifices. And when did he give them these prophecies? He gave them these prophecies when they were captured in Babylon and didn't even have a temple. They didn't even have a way to worship God because they were stuck in a secular society. And when they were stuck in a secular society, he says, I'm just telling you, there will be another temple. And that temple will be built and you will sacrifice again, and you give glory to God again. And that same people, they went and they built a temple. Now, it didn't match those proportions. Maybe they quit too soon. Maybe they gave up on all of it. But here's what happened. A temple was prophesied. A temple was built. Sacrifice was prophesied. Sacrifice happened. Why? Because God declared it. When God declares something is going to happen, it happens. Let's talk about Daniel in the same captivity. Daniel said that um, there's going to be a time of 70 weeks of years, and it's just Hebrew math for 490 years, but then he describes 483 of those years. He says, from the time that you get sent back to rebuild the temple, they were in captivity. They weren't being sent back. It was 50 years before they were sent back. It looked helpless to them. There were a lot of people who heard that prophecy who were never sent back, but there was a generation of them who heard the prophecy who were waiting to be sent back. Why? Because God spoke it. Prophecy creates an expectation in us so that our lifestyle is in alignment with the expectation, which is in alignment with the prophecy. And so they had an expectation to be sent back. And he said, oh, you're going to be sent back and you're going to rebuild this temple. And then 483 years after that, there will be a time when sinfulness is brought to an end. But then the one who brings an end to sinfulness will be cut off. And then he gives this long like pause And then he talks about the last seven years. The last seven years are the seven years that we see coming. The last seven years are the ones that we're looking at right now. Where is that? When is it going to happen? When does this, when does this take place? I'm living as if this is taking place this afternoon. Yeah, but what if it doesn't? Then I'm living as if this is going to take place tomorrow. But what if it doesn't? then I'm living as if this is going to take place on Friday. But what if it doesn't? I don't, I'm just living as if it is. Why? Because he told me it's happening. 
When God speaks something, we live as if it's going to happen in the present age. In the present age. Paul prophesied Jesus was coming. Jesus prophesied that Jesus was coming. Peter prophesied that Jesus was coming. John, the best friend of Jesus, prophesied that Jesus was coming. We have all the prophecies that say Jesus is coming. And when we look at it in the Old Testament and all the things that God said was going to happen that actually happened, it gives me hope to know that the things that haven't happened yet that he said will happen, will happen. What are we waiting for? We are waiting for the coming of the Lord. What will happen in the middle of all of this? Like, why do we have to be prepared for it? Because there are a lot of things that are gonna happen that will distract you from his coming. We have to be told he's coming because everything around us pulls us away from his coming. False doctrine pulls us away from his coming. Anybody that suggests that you shouldn't live as if he's coming right now, it's a false doctrine. What is it there for? It's to distract you from doing what you should be doing today. That's all it is. It's just a distraction. See, Jesus said it like this when he was talking to his uh, disciples in Luke chapter 21 and verse nine. He says, when you hear of wars, do not be terrified. For all these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, pestilences and famines. There will be terrors and there will be a great, great signs in heaven. So it's, it's not all gonna happen at once, but there are layers of things that happen in the generations that precede his coming. And he said, those are gonna be things like wars and things like famines and pestilences and then things like terrors. Now, um, tomorrow is September the 11th. There's an entire generation, it's not lost on us what that word means. Maybe it was just political hyperbole, but when the conversation was there is a war on terror or that there were terrorists, it's for me just a hyperlink to the prophecy that in the days leading up to his coming, there will be terrors, there will be acts of terrorists. There will be things that are not meant to terrify me or shake me because Jesus said they're going to happen. They're going to happen. What they should be, however, is a reminder in us that he's coming soon. See, here's what I remember on the very first Sunday after September 11th. 2001. I was old enough to remember it well. The church was packed. We were across the street in that building over there. And they were sitting down the stairs. It didn't look like that the Sunday before. It didn't look like that the Sunday before that. What happened? All of a sudden, when there was something that woke us up to the end of time's timetable, we knew instinctively that we need to get in the house of God. And then here's the thing, things settled down. And then as things settled down, we go back to living very carnal, lukewarm, wasteful lives because we're not considering his coming. I don't think buildings have to be burned down by nuts for us to know Jesus is coming back. 
But these things are happening and they are going to happen. Why? Because it was prophesied. So this was the conversation Jesus later had with, after he had that conversation, he had another conversation with his disciples. Acts chapter one and verse six. It says they all came together and they asked Jesus, at this time, will you restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that are fixed by the Father's own authority. Now that word fixed matters. Why does it matter? Because it means that God has decided all by himself when Jesus will appear. He decided when he appeared the first time, and he's already decided when he's going to appear the second time. And there's nothing that we can do that will make his appearing happen sooner. What we're called to do is be ready and get people ready for his coming. Because what I don't know is when he's coming, I just know that he is. Now don't get me wrong, the conjecture and the speculation is fun. I actually enjoy it. I enjoy the dialogue, I enjoy the study, but I don't know. There are a lot of opinions I have that also have questions. There are opinions that other people have and they have their questions. I'm just more comfortable with my questions than their questions. You, you have to work out like what, what question, you're not gonna answer it, why? Because it's not for anybody to know the time or the season. Like you're not going to know. Enjoy the conversation though. Study it out, argue it, shake hands after. Enjoy the debate. But just know there's one thing to be known and that he's coming back. And if he's coming back, then what I need to be is prepared for his coming. Like that's what I need to be. Because here's exactly what happened after that. So then he says, but you will receive power after that. The Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you and you're gonna be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and into the uttermost parts of the earth. So what is the thing that I'm supposed to be doing? I don't know when he's coming back. I'm not gonna know the time or the season, but what do I know? That he's coming back. So what's the command? To take the power that you receive. That is the grace that appeared. You received it already and do what with it? demonstrate a life of godliness and uprightness. That's what I've been told to do. I'm now understanding that it's for all, so all need to be prepared for his coming. That's what I need to be doing. So if I understand that he's coming, I'm not gonna speed that up and I'm not gonna slow that down. What I do know is it could happen at any minute, so not only do I need to be ready, but everybody I'm responsible for needs to be ready. That there should be, I'm going to use the word angst, and please don't take this wrongly or get frustrated by it. There should be an angst in us about his coming so that everybody that we actually know and have relationship with, we make sure they're ready. See, Peter, Peter, said, it like, Peter said it like this in, um, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. He said, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We didn't say that at the top of the conversation. We could have. This, this idea is littered throughout all of the gospel. He is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But here's what, I, here's what blows my mind. Then he goes on, he says, but, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So, He's patient, but he's coming. He's, he wants everybody to be saved, but he's gonna come like a thief. That means not everybody's going to be ready. He wants them to be ready, but they're not gonna be ready. He wants it to happen, but he's coming like a thief. For the heavens will pass away with a roar. There's another one of those words. 
Because it's not the lamb this time. He's not coming on a donkey, cute, into the city. Now there's a roar. Now it's the lion of the tribe of Judah who has king of kings and lord of lords written on his thigh. It's the one who's coming not on a donkey, but on a white horse. It's the one who when he opens his mouth, evil falls in an instant. The heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and all the works that are done on it will be exposed. So then he goes on and he says, so since all of these things will be dissolved, how ought people to live in holiness and godliness? Holiness is being separate from the evil. It's being consecrated. It's where this was over here, but it's picked up out of a mess and it's placed here for a good use. It's a cup that used to be used to drink these things, but now it's a cup that is used for this. It's something that was in the middle of garbage, but it was taken out and it was consecrated. That's what holiness means. Holiness, consecrated. And godliness, what's that? Oh, that's all the stuff we're supposed to be doing. I came out of that, I let that go, so I had margin to do what he called me to do. What lives ought we to live in holiness and godliness? Now hear this, waiting, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. I am waiting for his coming. I'm looking for him, but I'm hastening. What does that word hastening mean? It's a gathering. It is a frantic gathering of what was usually people or animals. It's a little bit like when we see God bring the animals onto the ark. He was hastening towards that coming. The day had already been set. He prophesied. He said, in 120 years, I'm about to set things in a mess, so you better get ready. And then they went and they started building the boat and they got the boat all ready. When the boat was ready and everything was prepared, God then hastened. He brought the animals into the ark. How are we hastening? I'm waiting for him because I'm ready, but I'm hastening by getting you ready. How are you ready? You're waiting. What are you doing to hasten? You're getting everybody else ready. I'm just telling you that Jesus is coming back. And right now we need to get serious about getting people ready for his return turn because he's not waiting for us. He's patient, but he's going to come when he's going to come. So you're either ready or you are not ready. And it is an hour for us to hasten. I want to be ready for, and I want to hasten the coming of the day of God. Because here's the last thing Jesus said, Revelation 22, 12. Behold, I am coming soon. Prepare your hearts, for I am truly coming. Set yourself ready, and look unto the skies. Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, for he is coming. Every eye shall see him, and every tongue shall declare, this is the Christ that was prepared. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Right now in this room, every head bowed, every eye closed. You say, Sean, I'm not ready. I've enjoyed hanging out in church. It's been fun. But um, it's just been that fun. But I'm not ready. I want to be ready. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity. You're going to pray this prayer with every single one of us. No one's looking around. There's not an usher looking around. But I'm going to look around for a minute. I want to know if you're in this room. If you say, I want to pray that prayer with all of you guys, I just want you to raise your hand right now. I want you to pray this with all of us. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for loving me. And I believe with my heart that Jesus is your son and that he died for me. I confess Jesus is my Lord. Jesus, Thank you for loving me. Jesus, thank you for saving me. And I will follow you for the rest of my life. In your name I pray. Amen. Now would everybody just stand up with me and could we welcome them into the family of God. Revelation 22, 12. He said, Behold, I am coming soon, and my recompense is with me to repay each one according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. And then he said, Surely, I am coming soon. I'm coming soon, he said.